This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. Can you turn him? Yeah, thanks. My way up. I'm talking into a microphone and turning a knob. There we go. That sounds good. Testing levels. The knob is now exactly where it was before. (laughs) Ah, Why is everything so janky today? This is the most Monday Monday (laughs) I've ever had. Yeah. Hey everybody, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. So, 4th of July. I saw some delicious barbecue on your Twitter feed. Yeah, I made some burgers, veggie burgers, corn. It's good. People liked it. Veggie burgers for the wife? Yeah, and I have some vegetarian friends. They're also delicious, though. Mm. Black bean corn burgers. No, I, I yeah, that, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah, put them on the grill the same way as... You, you can know. cook it just like real food. Just like real so. food. <laughs> yeah, they came out really good. I was really happy with them. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. This this <laughs> three-day weekend stuff, dude's like screwing with me. Mm-hmm. And this recording on a Monday. I don't like this recording on a Monday thing. No, I, my I brain, can't hang with this. I need at least four days for my brain to ramp up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I turned my alarm clock off because I was... It was Thursday night. I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't have to get up early tomorrow. Right. Just turn this off. Yeah, I never turned it back on. <laughs> this morning was a bit of a mess. Yeah. That's a nice thing about like, because I use a Fitbit for the silent alarm so that my wife doesn't leave me because my alarm goes off at like 530 in the morning and I snooze it till eight, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I use a silent alarm on a Fitbit. But so that means like if I, like I just never turn it off. If I don't want to wake up, I just don't put the Fitbit thing on my wrist you know I just mm. like leave it in my pants pocket or something that's smart yeah works out well how was your how was your fourth what'd you do it was good I I made chili Thursday night nice. and then I I repurposed it on Friday for chili dogs as you do yeah so so good yeah it was, it was turkey chili which is a compromise yeah beans do you put beans yeah in? i also put mm. beans in it it's not even really chili at that point it's just kind of like a stew yeah yeah it's more like a turkey <laughs> stew i'll readily admit that but you know it it, it gave sure it some it more delicious. texture it was it was amazing especially yeah. the next day on hot dogs hot dogs you know drank some beer mm-hmm. sam mm-hmm. adams mm-hmm. feels appropriate mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> watch the watch the giants lose yeah then play some mario kart Nice. That sounds like a good Pretty solid 4th of July. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Pretty solid. So what do we want to talk about? Beta 3 just dropped. Oh, yeah. We should talk about that. Sure. We can talk about things. Topical. Yeah. Cool changes. What do you think? Yeah, let me pull them up. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Me too. So Swift uh, iOS 8 Beta 3 and Xcode 6 Beta 3 just dropped literally 20 minutes ago. And with it came a bunch of changes to Swift. They reworked arrays completely to get rid of basically all of that oddness that we had been talking about with what is an immutable array actually mean. You know what I mean? So like now it makes sense. If you use let, it's completely immutable. You can't change that 
objects right. inside it. You can't change the length. You can't change the reference. You can't change anything. That is an immutable array. Mm -hmm. It's like, cool, great. That <laughs> totally yeah. so, makes So simple to understand. Makes yeah. so much sense. Yeah. And then if you declare it as var, it's completely mutable right. in every way. Right. The, the variable itself, you can swap arrays in and out. The actual value of in, values in the array, yeah. awesome. They also tweaked the copy semantic on the array a little bit. So now when you call copy on an array, it's like a deep copy. So you get a copy of the array itself, and you get a copy of every object inside. Right. Which is a little different from Objective-C. Where you get a copy of the array with references to the original objects. Correct. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I can it because the reason they never did that before was because it was inefficient. But they mentioned explicitly that there's some new efficient lazy copying technique being used and there's going to be more performance improvements in the future. So right. I can I can hang with more copying. And the the Swift language itself is kind of it's geared towards immutability and copying, you know what I mean? Like using structs and using immutability and just copying things around and letting the compiler say let me optimize this for you as much as possible is really nice. It is kind of weird that you end up with better performance when copying versus passing by reference. But Oh, you do. You don't think so? I don't know. I, I think that's I think that's the point, right? The point like they're saying that if you use if you use like Swift internals uses copies, copying a lot because they just lean on the compiler and let the compiler optimize that copying completely so that if I could be totally wrong about this, but someone somewhere said that they were using structs and copying internally because it, it was a huge performance benefit over passing by reference. Yeah, I guess there's some overhead in maintaining all of those references. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would be much, but... I mean, we're probably talking really low-level stuff that adds up, right. wherein practical use doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, I, I think it matters when you're working on a language. Right. Does it matter to me right now, building apps? <laughs> right. Probably not. Probably not, yeah. But it's nice. Right. Syntax changes. I really like this syntax change. I really do. So they changed the, you know, the syntactic sugar for defining arrays and dictionaries. So before it was type and then close brackets, braces. What do you call those? Brackets. Uh, square brackets. Square brackets, yeah. So it was like int square bracket square bracket. Right now it's square bracket int square bracket, which it looks cleaner to me for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, and it's telling you exactly what you're getting. Well, it, it, it represents what it's building a lot better, like just visually. You know what I mean? Before it was like, this is a int array. And now it's like, this is an array of ints. You know, mm -hmm. and that that kind of it's a weird small change, but I like it a lot more. Um I was just going to say that the old way is very C-like. Very C-like, yeah, yeah. Whereas this, you know, it's it's brackets, it's a type in there, and you go, oh, it's the type is in the brackets, yeah. it's in the array. Right, right. Like, that pleases my brain, yeah. my stupid, yeah. stupid brain. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. And then they changed the dictionary syntax as well. So before it was uh, angle bracket, key type, colon, value type, angle bracket, or maybe key type, comma, value type i don't know Com, uh, comma i think and so now it's square bracket key type colon value type defining the type looks like creating an instance of it you know mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I like that i like that a lot i do wonder i haven't gotten xcode downloaded yet one of the things that drove me crazy was like if i wanted to look at the the definite and this is partially a documentation issue 
right? But one of the things that drove me crazy when I wanted to like look at what's available on Array, I you can't get to the header for Array from. I mean, you can, but it's it's a pain in the ass to get to the header for Array from the syntax from the pretty version of the type definition. You know what I mean? If I write, and I'm sure that it's still that way, but like if you write it the longhand version, right? Array angle bracket type angle bracket, then you can command click on array and jump right to that generated header thing mm-hmm. and look at all the all the methods that are declared on array. I'm hoping that the compiler gets smart enough and says, oh, this is, obviously this is an array. You know what I mean? So I'm going to jump to when I command click on, although what would you want there? Yeah, I well, I guess, hmm, I guess you command click on one of the angle brackets. That's weird. Or the square brackets. Yeah. That's no. What what we need is you Do- know a um, yeah an actual document <laughs> yeah. that contains a standard library that I can load up in Dash. Yeah, right. And you know prefix with SW and then colon and then right what I want. Yeah. Or better yet, Alfred. Yeah, that'd be so nice. I'm I'm sure we'll get that. It's just um, having to wait and being impatient. Yeah, it's not really my... Well, and I want to do stuff with it, you know what I mean? And I do feel like the documentation is holding me back right now in terms of like, because there's so little of it, and I understand why there's so little of it. How much time do you really want to spend on this documentation when obviously things are changing, you know what I mean? They already have to update the book, so like they updated the book to beta 3. I We got to get Keith to do another diff to see exactly what's changed in the book. That would be good. But... Mm-hmm. um. But I mean, Xcode's already doing it. Xcode's already generating this header that we can click into on a type and look at. Can't that just go somewhere else? Yeah. Or we can just kind of like pull it in and look at it? Yeah, that'd be nice. It would just update every time you update Xcode. Mm-hmm. There has to be an existing radar. Um, if sure. there's an existing radar, email me and I'll dupe it. Otherwise, I'll just file one. What do you think about this other syntax change changing the uh, half-closed and closed range? Or basically, they just changed the half-closed which I keep calling the exclusive range, which is wrong, totally wrong, but it makes more sense in my brain. Exclusive versus inclusive. You mean exclusive was the two dot, inclusive was the three dot? Right. I don't know. That's the way my, but they're calling it half closed and closed, so I should probably flip to that. But like changing it from two dots to two dot less than sign, it's weird. I've never seen that before. Like I've seen two dot and three dot for ranges. I've never seen another symbol thrown in there. I guess it's really hard to screw up now. Yeah, I mean, they specifically say that it's it's f- so that it's not ambiguous. You know what I mean? You're not, like, squinting at your screen going, like, is there two dots there or three dots there? You don't accidentally, you know, dump three dots in when you meant to only put two. Mm-hmm. You have to be very explicit about that third character now, which is nice. I feel like they went halfway then. Like, in my mind, it should be dot, dot less than for the exclusive and then or sorry half closed yeah and then dot dot equal would give me Mm. yeah maybe because i feel like those less than greater than and equal you know those are really well understood Mm -hmm. you know this would say it's everything up to this Mm -hmm. number and then everything up to and including this number yeah it'll be interesting to see if that keeps iterating specifically this operator you know, this one and the closed range one to see if they iterate more across the next few betas. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird change. Everything deprecated in iOS 7 and earlier or 
OS 10.9 and earlier are now completely unavailable in Swift. I think that's good. They, oh, all yeah. they did was just remove baggage that you couldn't use anyway, right? Like if it was deprecated pre iOS 7, like what's the point of building it into the language? Why even have that, you know, you can't compile for iOS 6, so who cares? You know. I think that's great. I want yeah. I want I want as much baggage removed as possible. That's another thing, you know, like there are reasons behind changing like the array semantics, you know what I mean, or or it, you know, and the and the syntax there is like this isn't a C language. We can get away from C type constructs, you know what I mean? And we can move towards a better place, which is nice. It's just like removing baggage. Nil's a literal. That's cool. I I didn't play enough around with li- nil like in beta two or beta one to get what was going on. But before it was a constant and now it's a literal. And so they have these, they have these protocols and there's one for every literal. So there's like a string literal convertible protocol. There's a int literal convertible protocol, a float literal convertible protocol, uh, array and dictionary too have these literal convertible protocols where you say when if I have a cl- I, I have an object of type foo, right? When I set, you know, my foo equals three, what does that mean for my type? Like, how do I transform that number literal, that integer literal, into what this actually is? That's where someone was playing around with JSON, right? And so they conformed this JSON thing. This JSON type, I think it was a JSON type. They conformed a JSON type to dictionary literal convertibles. So then you, if you just hand this type a literal dictionary, it could figure it out to a certain extent. You're saying you would declare a new dictionary object, call it like JSON dictionary, and then assign to it some bit of JSON and the, it just converts it? it? I mean, not automatically. Like You have to define that function. I right. think... The function is it's just an init function. Right, but but just by way of assigning it, that convertible method yeah. gets triggered. Yeah, exactly. Is that just one method? Like, does everything that is has a convertible just implement, like, convert or something? Um, yeah, I don't remember what the function is off the top of my head. Um, yeah, so you, you declare a class function. So if you conform to float literal convertible, for example then you declare a function called convert from float literal, right? That takes a double or a float and returns your type. So then when you just do let foo equal 2.0, it takes that float, hands it to your conversion function, and then lets you instantiate like do whatever conversions you need to do to turn that float into whatever your type actually is. The example here is that he has a class called double double that sets its internal value to uh, whatever value is passed in times two. So if you create a instance of his class with 2.0, what you get is a double double class that has an internal value of 4.0. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't so outside of JSON, I'm not entirely sure where this is super useful. I do think that so all this is about like nil being literal now. Since nil is now a literal, there's also a nil literal convertible protocol. So you can actually say 
if this is assigned, if if something assigns nil, you know, if I'm instantiated as nil, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. I, I see where you're going with this. So like default values. Kind of. Potentially. Like, potentially. Like not, it gives you a chance to kind of kick out nil and say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're going to slip this in here. You could probably apply that to the null object pattern. Yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing. You know, if you create like a user object and but you assign it with nil and now it's a null user object, you know, it just returns a null user object instead. <laughs> it's just a dude just hammering outside the conference room. <laughs> Are you picking that up? Barely. Oh, good God. You told him to stop. I think it'll be done in a minute. We got new art. Oh, good. Yeah, no, that's important. <laughs> so, you know, just just classing the place up a bit. <laughs> he, he sees that I'm talking into a big-ass microphone. Oh. All right, I'm, I'm done complaining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I like the uh, add with overflow bit that they've added to integer types. Yeah, I was trying. I was just reading that. So you get you have like an eight bit integer. Assume that the value is like one twenty, and then you go to add ten to it, and you mm-hmm. do add with overflow ten. Mm-hmm. I assume I assume you get a tuple back that will give you seven, which will like run you up to the max value of an eight bit integer, and then return a bit that says, "Yep, I overflowed." Hmm. Or I wonder if it actually returns the other end of the partial result. So you'd actually get three back because you overflowed to well, let me think about this. You overflowed to negative one twenty five. I'm not yeah. sure which value you'd get there or how it comes back, but it must be a tuple. Yeah. So that's cool. Unowned class references will no longer sometimes retain their target. That seems <laughs> yeah, that seems a good. buggy. It looks like they fixed a lot with uh, Interface Builder and Swift. I guess that was broken. And Playground support um, iOS. UI view. Nice. That, I, didn't, I didn't realize that that was a bug. Core image filters. All that good stuff. Big release, it feels like. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, uh, I mean, tons of stuff changed in Swift. They fixed global variable declarations in the REPL. Um, oh, yeah. Let. So inside the REPL, let is still essentially var. That's weird, right? Like, why would that be the case? I think it's just because it's executing in a different context you know what i mean it jumping back to haskell let inside the haskell repl has a different meaning than inside specific parts of like normal haskell usage um i guess that doesn't really map to this this is a little bit different but yeah huge stuff man like there's pages and pages and pages and pages of stuff that's been changed just in xcode i haven't even looked at ios like the api betas the API diffs, rather, mm-hmm. um, or the release notes. I feel like this year people are filing more radars than in previous years. I think it's because of Swift. I, I think it's because of Swift, and I also think that it's also possible that they're not actually filing more radars. It's just that we're hearing about them more because of how they relaxed the NDA this year. Mm. You know, like the fact that we're able to have this conversation at all on air is directly due. Like this wouldn't, you know. It would have been six months from now before we had any conversations about Swift publicly. So I think the same thing is true with radars. You couldn't just post to Twitter or even to OpenRadar. You couldn't say, like, 
these are the radars I'm filing against Swift, or these are the radars I'm filing against iOS 8. You can do it, right? Because that's breaking the NDA previously. So now that there's bare, you know, there's basically, for all intents and purposes, no NDA. Like, you know, we can't share screenshots of it, but we can talk about basically anything we want. And so because of that, more people are saying like, again, like, yeah, here, here are these radars that I'm filing, you know. Word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was I was trying to look at the iOS 8 beta release notes, but they haven't updated them yet. Mm. Still says beta 2. It's been 40 whole minutes. What are they doing? I don't know. This is unacceptable. <laughs> See, what haven't they added? Still can't build static libraries with Swift. That sucks. I think that's what's keeping CocoaPods from working. Hmm. Wait, so CocoaPods doesn't work at all with Swift projects at the moment? I don't think so. I could be absolutely 100% wrong about that, but my understanding is that it doesn't. I feel like I would have seen projects coming out supporting CocoaPods and Swift if it did. Like Quick, for example, that testing framework that we've been we've been looking at, like that doesn't use Swift or sorry, that doesn't use CocoaPods at all. Um, you have to use Git submodules for that. Oh, you mean that distributing Swift code as in a CocoaPod doesn't work. But right. if I was in a Swift project and I wanted to pull in that, SS that keychain, that, that would work. work. Yeah, because because it's about, yeah, the source code for the library has to be Objective-C in order for it to work properly, I think. I'm fairly sure that that's true. Um, I still don't get this. Uh, there's a bug that's open right now, and there's a note in the release notes that Swift does not support object initializers that fail by returning null you know because you can't you can't fail from an initialization in swift it just can't happen otherwise everything would be an optional there's no way to fail from an init which i think is good <laughs> mm -hmm. right but a lot of people are complaining about that and a lot of people want to be able to fail from initializers i kind of don't get that honestly like they're talking about like so the the kind of example that people give is, well, what if I try to create NSURL with a string that isn't a URL? Then it should fail. It's like, well, I guess, but why don't you just create, like their workaround is to do a factory method, use a factory method. Because a factory method could return an optional, you know? Right. So use NSURL, URL with string, instead of NSURL alloc init with string. I think that's fine. I, I think that's I think that's totally reasonable. You don't think it's more reasonable now to raise a runtime exception? No, I don't want any runtime exceptions. I want to, I want I want everything defined in the type system, and I want it all to be compiler exceptions. That's just me in general. Like in general, in general, like runtime exceptions. Like the more stuff we can put us onto the compiler, the less crashes there's going to be. Period. Right. But I don't see how the compiler could ever check that case. It can't, but that's why I'm saying that that if you if you instead of having the initializer fail, if you have like the initializer will always succeed always, but you have a factory method that can fail. So the factory method, the class method on NSURL URL with string, that could return an NSURL optional. So then it can say, is this string a URL? If it is, return NSURL alloc init with string 
you know, but if it's not a URL, return none. Because the only other option, the only other option is to either have to know, like somehow you have to annotate your init methods to say that these could return an optional, right? And then you'd have to know somehow, even if it's the compiler telling you, you'd have to know somehow that, oh, this class, the initializers can fail and this class, the initializers can't fail. It seems like it'd be better to just have factory methods and maybe you annotate those somehow to say, like, you probably want to use this factory method, not the actual directly use the initializer, you know? Yeah, I guess that's all you can do. Feels weird. It feels weird. I, I just, I feel like I'd rather have in it be very, very consistent in terms of its behavior. You know what I mean? I wonder if maybe you could use what, like, theoretically when when the control access stuff hits which it still hasn't but when all the pro- public private stuff hits i wonder if you could declare your init method as protected or private or something but have a factory method that's public right so that you can't use init directly but you'd have to use in a factory method hmm. you know that could be interesting would they have the same name you think you, that would work no, I wouldn't do it as the same name because one would be an inst- essentially an instance method, right? And it would be an instance method, and the factory method would be a class method. Mm-hmm. But you could create, you know, you could have like NSURL. NSURL could have a private initializer that takes a string. So you can't call that from an external class, but you can call it from an internal class. So you can call it from inside this, you know, inside the NSURL class itself. So then you'd have a public factory method that just takes a string and then does all the checking and returns an optional and does whatever it needs to do. I don't know how the compiler would have to be smarter about like, I I, I don't know. I mean, all this is conjecture. All this is hypothetical. What if initializers that could fail took an in out error and then you check the error before proceeding with using that thing? But then what, what, what is that thing? That thing has to be an optional then. You wouldn't use an in-out error. You just use an optional. And that's getting back to, you know, because it can't, if, you're, if I'm saying because of the type system, if init is supposed to return something, it has to return something. So the only way it could fail is if it returns an optional, you know? Inside the type system, there's no other way. Like what, what else, if I say something's a string, it has to be a string. So if I try to, create a string and that initializer fails what else could string possibly be there's nothing else it could be other than a string so it have to in it for a string would have to return an optional and that would get real gross real quick because everything would end up having an optional initializer and so every single thing you create you'd have to like create it and then check if it exists and then move forward you know that sucks yeah, I was thinking of the case of like URL init with string mark error, and then it'll just return you a URL with its absolute string of mark, which obviously you can't do anything with, but the error will be filled out. I see. Like this is not this doesn't match like a URL regex pattern, mm. but then you're just trading, you know, um, factory right. methods for initializers that all take errors that you have to check <laughs> right. when you, whenever you create anything. Right, right, and I do feel like we already have this. Um, we already have a construct for that. You know what I mean? For a success or failure. You know, 
and that's right now it's maybe i think we could use like another object i think an either object would be nicer for that but right now it's a it's a optional so i'd rather see them lean on the existing yep tony's been using the uh ib designable ib editable stuff it's so so freaking nice it's mm-hmm. so cool aside from swift I think that's probably the thing I'm most excited about, honestly, just because I think it's going to make a huge change in my workflow. It's going to be less code, less fewer classes. Like there in this project right now, I'll be able to get rid of at least one file, if not multiple files, entire classes that exist only to like slightly tweak on each other. You know, so I have like a rounded corner button and then I have like a, rounded cornered bordered button it's like those could be the same thing i just have a custom button that exposes a and like i could do it now in interface builder by tweaking the runtime attributes of like the for the layer but i hate that i absolutely like i'm never gonna look and like when was the last time you were like why is this happening let me check the runtime attributes <laughs> box just to yeah. see you know it's like I, I'm never, I'm literally never going to find that, and maybe I'm not using the system fully because of that. But it's just, it seems like just high, it's hidden. They they could make that better by tweaking the UI around that. I mean, move Probably. it somewhere else. Yeah. Don't bury it in the inspector. Like yeah. try to get people to use it. Right. But now we don't need to. Like that's the thing is if you yeah. want if you want that stuff editable, you can just create a class that exposes it. The next thing I want is to be able to link a subview in one nib with another nib. Yeah, I think I have a radar for that. I really do. That needs to happen. Yeah. That, it seriously. drives me crazy. I, I want to design this thing in isolation in a nib over here, but I want to put it in a view hierarchy in a separate nib or storyboard. Yep. Link the files. So what I have over here now shows up in the context of my storyboard or larger nib. Yep. And you know when it goes to build this thing, reference that nib. Pull out the top level object, hook everything up, please. Yep. Please? (laughs) Yeah, or even like uh, instead of registering a class for a collection view or a table view, I want to register another nib. You know what I mean? So instead, you know, like register, because right now, like in code, we have register class for reuse identifier and register nib for reuse identifier. If you're already an interface builder, the only thing you can do is register a class for a reuse identifier, you know? Mm. Gotcha. So, like, I register the class in interface builder just for my own sanity, but then the first thing I have to do inside the actual collection view controller is register the nib so that it pops up properly, you know? It's like, that sucks. Let me just, <laughs> exactly like you're saying, like, let me just, just, let me just do this. What else? I think we covered this release. This is good timing because I didn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> I do not, a bullet. Yeah, I do not have a radar open for that linking nibs inside Interface Builder. I should probably do that. My uh, my bug about mail iPhones, the iOS mail that I in this is from September 2012 that I filed is still open. <laughs> Which one is that? So. Uh, this is the oldest bug that I have open anyway. Um, but basically the way what happens is if you're reading a mail on an IMAP server on your iPhone, so you open it, op- 
you can reproduce this right now. If you open an email on your iPhone, right, and it's an IMAP, and then leave mail, right, and then delete that email or move it to another folder or something from another email client, then when you get new email into that account, it replaces, it updates itself, but it replaces the open email with the new email that came in. So you're never, so it, and then it marks it as red everywhere. So essentially you stop getting notified. You lose one note, one new mail notification because that email is automatically opened on your iOS device by the mail app because it has nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so annoying. <laughs> so you think that that sort of show view controller for that individual message is just kind of actually holding onto an index into a larger set. Probably. And then the sync switches them out and it redraws and Yeah, I'm not even sure that it redraws, but it definitely marks it as red and then propagates that red status. So all of a sudden I'm just like, where the hell did this email come from? You know what I mean? It's just been sitting there because like I open, you know, I happen to have an email open on my phone and then I closed it and put it away and then went around went about my day. I get a new email notification, I'm like there's two here. Why did it only tell me about one, you know? Mm. Oh, and I did make a note that it's been a problem since iOS 4. Wow. <laughs> it's open. <laughs> Status, open. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, that's kind of good, right? I guess. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, <laughs> you're probably the only person that's sure, reported this. I'm sure. No one else has known it. Like, everyone else I tell about it, they're like, Really? It's like, yeah, (laughs) it's constantly been an issue. All right, want to wrap it up? Yes, yes, please. Okay. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash 45. We'd like to hear from you, so email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we'd like ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. Yeah, man. All right, talk to you later. Later.